Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to another Cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the other ones and will cover people who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode of their own, but they are too interesting to abandon completely. And they fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today... Thomas Sunniff. Sunniff spelt sunny, sunny with a double F on the end. Sunny if? <laughs> sunny if. Sunny if. We'll go with Sunniff. Now, the, um, Google didn't like it. It kept trying to turn it into sunny all the time. <laughs> But it is a sad and shocking story, I'm afraid. Oh, no, is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I expect I expect most stories involving Dudley and Empson are sad and shocking. Yes. But this one, especially so. Okay. And I do apologise because I know you hoped you'd seen the back of these, these men. <laughs> I hoped everyone had seen the back of these men. It won't be until we get to season two. Season two, we should be beyond them, just like the princess in the tower. Definitely have gone by then. <laughs> But anyway, just keep those antidepressants handy in case you need them. <laughs> the Great Chronicle of 1506 summed up the situation, quote, This year sprang much sorrow through the land, for by means of a few ungracious persons, which named themselves the king's promoters, many unlawful and forgotten statutes and acts, made hundreds of years past, were now quickened and sharply called upon to the great inquietness of many of the king's subjects as well the rich as the other, that had any competent substance. Yet now, and especially since Empson and Dudley were set in authority, many more in number were called before them for many surmised causes. And I think surmised is probably the yes. main word here. <laughs> Nothing proven. Of which none escaped without paying off fines little or much. Then had they their false juries so fixed unto them, that they were well assured that they would not pass again their mendis. Mendis lies, possibly? I, I wasn't quite sure. For all was done in the king's name, and yet the most profit came to their coffers. Mm -hmm. So I think the king... Well, it's hard to tell whether the king's name was used in vain. Sorry, unquote. It's hard to tell whether <laughs> the king's name was used in vain. Yes. <laughs> or... If it, we had this trouble before, didn't we? Yes. How much is he involved? He might be the monkey grinder. Is that what it's called? Monkey grinder? It sounds wrong, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I'm, I've got a horrible image in my mind now. Yes, so do I. Those old-fashioned mincers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Um... Yeah, the grinder's monkey. The yeah. organ grinder's monkey. Yeah, organ <laughs> grinder. It. Okay. Yes. Maybe the organ grinder, not monkey grinder. <laughs> ah, there's the antidepressants. <laughs> While Dudley and Empson's activities were horrific in many cases, it has to be remembered that Henry VII was solvent. He was one of the very few English kings to be solvent since 1066, and he was one of the very few monarchs, and in fact... I can't think of any others, European monarchs, to be solvent. Victoria made a profit once Albert took over her finances. Oh, after, after, maybe. Yes, but, but I'm not thinking before. About, uh, just now, yeah. Yeah, think no. about In Europe at the, at the moment, their moment, well, safely cross Maximilian off the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Ferdinand would be all right, wouldn't he? Well, he would have been a lot, yes, uh, once they had 
started bringing back gold from the New World, yeah. they were rich, not just It's probably solvent. just the two of them then, isn't it? I think yes. in the whole of Europe. Yes. Anyway, we're going to talk about the, the case of Thomas and Alice Sunniff. And this came to light soon after the death of Henry VII and while Dudley and Empson were in prison. M.R. Horowitz wrote the paper about the case on which I've pretty much based this episode. And he discovered, and it is he, because I suddenly thought, M.R., is that, am I just assuming? But no, I have heard him on YouTube talking about the case as well. So he's a man. <laughs> he discovered the documents that were preserved in Westminster Abbey. And it's a first-person complaint by Thomas Sunniff. And he was a haberdasher living in Ludgate in London. And you were very surprised to hear that we still have haberdashers in yes, this country. Yes, I love that word. And we need to have haberdashers back. The only thing I can think of with a haberdasher now is there is a shop in a little town called Ilminster near here. And it's, it sells wool and the sort of material that sort of went out in the 70s and school uniforms and the sort of foundational <laughs> garments that women used to wear. <laughs> a little bit seedy. A lot of wood panelling. And that's how I see a haberdasher. <laughs> oh, see, and I see the warm. They've got those big shears. But they're in there yeah. with a bunch of people making sure that everybody's dressed well. You know exactly what I'm thinking of. Have you ever seen uh, Impromptu? It's the movie about Georges Sand. No. Oh, my goodness. I love it. But that's what I think of a haberdasher is because they're in there with their chalk and their fitting jackets to... Her and Chopin at mm. the same time. Georges Sand yeah. was a woman, I think she was mm. a baron, baroness, who wrote under the pseudonym of a man and dressed as a man. She was quite scandalous at the time. And she and mm. Chopin had a quite lengthy affair. But yes. I know they went to Mallorca because Mallorca, sorry Mallorca, but it doesn't seem to have a lot of history to talk about. It does mention <laughs> Chopin and Georges Sand quite a lot. Yes. And apparently they both hated it there. Oh, did they? Aww. Yes, it was freezing cold and they, they had a miserable time. But um, it doesn't stop Mallorca using it as their sort of big thing. <laughs> We've had Chopin. <laughs> well, that's what I think. It was this beautiful, airy, yeah. lots of windows. Yeah. Yeah, let's think of it like that rather than selling women's foundational garments. Yes. Yeah, the, the uh, complaint was written in 1509 to 10, which obviously when uh, Henry had just died. And it's a complaint by Sunif against a man called Camby, who was known to be a henchman of Dudley. And as we'll see, he is a very unsavoury character. Mm, just add him to the pile. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so Sunif's rather confused story in the complaint is as follows. In mid-April 1507, a woman called Alice Dampston was held prisoner by Camby for 17 weeks. Uh. He worked for a sheriff's office but it didn't really explain why he's holding people prisoner. No. She said that he was keeping her until she agreed to slander Sunif and his wife. And she must have agreed to do so since Sunif says that there was an inquiry into Damston's allegations and that the Sunifs were acquitted. Well, Cambry didn't give up. A servant of his started a campaign of slander against the Sunifs. Do we know why? Was this just to get money? Or was it personal grudge? I, I feel... That there must have been more to it than that. I think there must have been a personal grudge, although we never find out what it was, where mm. it came from. Turn it! <laughs> yes. I can be himself, according to Sunif, quote, laboured to the king's council to cause my wife to be burned and I to be hanged, <gasps> unquote. So he's... Sunif is afraid that this man is going to keep, keep going at them until, until he's actually got them oh. executed. 
Sunif went to Camby with a neighbour called Stephen Peacock and told Camby to tell his servant to stop slandering him. And Camby said, no, he, he didn't think he'd be doing that. Wow. Yes, later Camby went to, to Stephen Peacock and suddenly it all becomes clear because he told Stephen Peacock that he would leave Sunif alone if Sunif paid him £500. Did Sunif have £500? Well, as we know from Roman times and other times in history, the thing was to get a lot of people, a bit of crowdfunding, I suppose, isn't it? Early crowdfunding. You get a lot of people to put some money in and say, look, I'm in a lot of trouble. Right. Put put, put a pound in. I'll get lots of people to put a pound in. And that seems to be the way you got out of it. But presumably Sunif didn't cough up since he then found himself appearing before Richard Empson, that, quote, I must go to ward, and that's prison, for a certain matter that was laid at my wife's charge as Empson was informed, unquote. And I'm not sure why it would be Sunif who would go to prison and not his wife, but later we do hear that both of them are imprisoned. Mm. <laughs> I've got a beetle crawling across my <laughs> Is that what it is? Come here, you. Come <laughs> it's on. about six Thank foot across. You. Thank you. <laughs> There we go. We don't we don't uh, kill beetles here. <laughs> we don't kill no. anything here. No, we don't kill beetles. But <laughs> it did look like a huge beetle. <laughs> it looked like metamorphosis. <laughs> um, he spent six weeks in the fleet until prison. May fleet prison fifteen oh seven fleet prison. Yeah. yeah, famous from Dickens. You know, the fleet mm-hmm. carried on a long time. While he was in there, he said in, he says in his complaint, quote. In the meantime, the said master, Empson, examined the matter and inquired thereof, and he could find no cause against me, unquote. Really? Yeah. That's a surprise. Yes. So, much to Camby's annoyance, Empson wasn't taking the bait. Really? Holy cow! I am, I am very much astonished. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. But Camby didn't give up. He went to the fleet prison and arranged with a warden for Sunif and his servant to be taken by boat to Greenwich to appear before Dudley. Oh, this is like, oh, mum doesn't agree, so I'll go ask dad. Yes, it's interesting that Camby seems to be thinking, Empson doesn't work, let's try Dudley. Because we sort of saw, we more or less saw them as a double act. Yes. But not always, it seems. No, they did act independently, but when they really started batting people between each other, that's when they started getting the most money. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it just seemed that Sunif's, the the accusation against Sunif was so ludicrous that Empson thought, we can't get away with this one. And Dudley thought, yes, we can. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot of detail about the encounter between Dudley and Sunif. Dudley asked Sunif if Camby was there, and Sunif said he wasn't, so Dudley told Sunif to wait outside until Camby arrived. Well, he did arrive quite soon, and he continued to demand the £500 from Sunif. And Sunif bravely refused. Wow. Maybe he assumed that since em- Empson had thrown out the case, then Dudley would, would as, well. as well. So, yeah. Yeah, but he might still, have still, gutsy. Mm. Oh, yeah. Camby went in to talk to Dudley, and then both men came out together. Dudley said, quote, Sunif, agree with the king or else you must go to the tower, unquote. <gasps> Which must have made Sunif's blood run cold. Oh, I mean, no kidding. The king hasn't been mentioned before and suddenly yes. it's effectively treasonous, isn't it? This this little case. And a lot, I mean, not what, a lot of people came out of the tower alive. No. Ooh. But 
Sanif still refused to pay. Ooh, good for him. Yeah, saying, quote, it was not the king's will that I should yield me guilty of a thing that I was never guilty of, unquote. Ah, good job. Well, yeah, well, I don't know, brave or naive? I'm not 100% sure, but... I'm going with brave. <laughs> I think it must be, because 1507, quite late in Dudley and Empson's reign of terror, I suppose, and people would have heard about it and knew what would happen, wouldn't they, by this time? Yeah. Sunif was then told to go straight to the tower. So there was Sunif, Sunif's servant... Camby and the ward of the fleet and they were all about to get into the boat to head on down the river to the tower but Camby said no it would just be him and Sunif and the warden of the fleet protested and said he he had to stay by his prisoner that was his job yeah but Camby said quote my word shall be sufficient discharge unquote oh my goodness well Camby worked in the sheriff's office but it did seem he wielded a lot of power if he was able to say to the warden of the fleet don't worry I'll take the rap yeah Anyway, it was just the two of them who set off up the river to the tower. I mean, there might have been a boatman, or maybe Camby was rowing, I don't know. When they got to the tower, Camby went straight past, and Sunif told him he'd missed it, you know, missed, missed the Tower of London. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you spotted that. <laughs> you know what, I, I'm okay if we keep going, but isn't that it over there? And Camby said that the gates were shut. Sunif said that clearly they weren't shut. <laughs> you could see them, they weren't shut. But Camby was having none of it. He insisted on taking Sunif back to his his own house, Camby's house, and he locked him in a chamber, saying that they'd go to the tower tomorrow. What? And Sunif must have been terrified. I mean, what the hell's going on? Am I just going to be disappeared? Yeah. I mean, that's what I would be thinking. Yeah. This man is a known thug. Well, Camby didn't take him to the tower the next day, but kept him in his house for a month. Mm. Now, why would Camby have chosen to imprison Sunif in his own home rather than in the tower? Yeah. Well, the tower was under the jurisdiction of the city. If Sanif were kept in the tower, the city would have the right to look at his case and decide whether he was being imprisoned legally or not. Okay. And later in the saga, Sanif gets taken out of the tower and moved to prisons used by the King's Bench and the Duchy of Lancaster for the same reason. And I don't know why I've put this word in, but anyway, it made this case extrajudicial. Oh. <laughs> Our favourite word. <laughs> Extra. Ju extra judicial yes <laughs> people won't even know that we said that maybe 50 60 times before we finally got it right and we cut it all out in the first episode it's a really tricky word it's a horrible word but yes he's not within the confines of the city anymore right so he could disappear but then but then he could go after his wife which would be an easier target if he was just disappeared. Mm, yeah, not a good situation. While Sunif was locked up, new charges were being brought against Mrs. Sunif. Mm. Dudley released Alice Dampston, who had said she'd been coerced into bringing the charges against the Sunifs. Despite the fact, he released her despite the fact that it was feared that Dampston would now act as a witness for the defence, because she knew the Sunifs had done nothing. Right. And if this is the case, she's a very brave woman, as, as you'll see later when we hear about a bit more of her circumstances. But now we get an indication of the charge against Mrs. Sunnifs, since in her testimony for the defence, Dampston said that she, quote, showed how that her master nor her mistress never knew of the birth nor the death of the child, but she said it was dead born, unquote. So the charges relate to something about the death of a child. Okay. 
So a lot of what was going on at that point is girls were not necessarily something people wanted. So a lot of women would dis- disappear the baby, really. Mm. And some of them would sell them. There's Oh, when was that? The woman who um, took in a bunch of babies and then killed oh. them. When was oh. that? Nice to give a much nicer story. Yeah. So if they were looking for a boy or they just couldn't afford it. It's a possibility. When we come to Alice Dampston's, the story of her life, yes. it's a possibility that she might have got rid of it. But And if she was... Uh, so a lot were died. Yeah. Single women were very notorious for that. And even if the baby was stillborn, quite often they would be arrested with the thought yeah. that they had smothered their child. I think that's presumably what's happened happened here yeah but assuming that mrs sunniff had helped oh camby was apparently furious when he heard that alice dampston had been allowed to testify (laughs) he went to dampston and demanded that she again testify that sunniff's wife had killed the child he also told her that she was to accuse an official of forcing her to (gasps) testify to the innocence of the sunniffs so now he's going after other people well alice did this but no one was convinced because quote she varied so often in her sayings, said unto Master Dudley, that they could take no evidence by her words, because Camby caused her to be so diverse in her tale, unquote. So it seems that everybody knew that Camby was behind this, and maybe Dampston was making it, was deliberately making it sound unconvincing. Wow. Saying, yes, I did see her kill the <laughs> child. That was right, right? Isn't it? Yeah? Okay, <laughs> yes. that's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> Thumbs up to the, him over in the I corner. I thought this was interesting because this seemed quite modern. Dudley and some others actually went to the scene of the crime. But they can't have found anything because Mrs. Sunniff was acquitted. But you have to admire Camby's tenacity. Do we? Do we really? <laughs> you have to acknowledge it. <laughs> he then decided to charge Thomas Sunniff with an accessory to the crime. Oh, for bleep's sakes. The crime which another court had just said didn't take place. <laughs> Sunniff was still a prisoner in Camby's house, and this was illegal. There was such thing as bail, thanks to Richard III, and yet Sunniff was being denied it. And Sunniff said that he told Camby to take him to Newgate, where he could be tried for the crime, since he was convinced that he'd be acquitted, just as his wife had been. Because if <laughs> his wife had been told, no, you're perfectly innocent, there is no crime, so they can't then say, oh, but you did it. <laughs> yeah. Two legal officials then came to Camby to tell him that he must release Sunif. There was no crime to answer. Camby said fine, he would release Sunif when he paid in the £500 he owed him. And Sunif asked the reason for this £500. Camby then apparently told him that the King wanted it. He told Sunif how the King had chased Sir Ralph Hastings for a fine and Hastings had died. Is that what you want, Sunif? Is that what you want? Yeah, a little scary. Yeah, I think Sunif must have thought he was in a nightmare. The king wanted to hand him over £500 as a fine for being an accessory to a crime that hadn't happened. Oh, my goodness. But it's very, does very the Kafkaesque, king really isn't it? This? Or does the king even know? Do we know? Oh, we don't know. Because no one will ever say in their complaints, the king wanted this. They will say, Dudley said the king wanted this. Right. It's like when you rebel 
and you go after the king's minions. You don't yes, go after the king. you're not actually going after the king, right. <laughs> no, because that puts you in a lot more trouble. But Sunif replied, quote, If the king's good grace knew the truth of my matter, he would not take a penny off me, unquote. I wouldn't guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know your king. <laughs> Sunif was now out of Camby's house and was being incarcerated under the supervision of the Sheriff of London, as was Alice Dampston, who was also back in custody. I don't know what what charge she was being held. She, apparently she was a prostitute, or what they call a lewd queen. Oh. So I suppose they could have held her just for that if they were looking for an excuse to hold her. Sunif got in touch with as many people as he could think of who could stand in bail, and they agreed to do so. Was prostitution illegal? Maybe prostitution in the city was illegal. I don't... Out in Southwark, it might have been... I honestly don't know. Don't know either. Hmm. Well, we'll do an, we'll do an episode on prostitution. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Yeah, all these people had agreed to stand in bail, so by rights, he should be out. But when he was brought before the king's bench, bail was refused. His lawyer told the bench that it was against the law to refuse bail, but the judges replied that they, quote, could not contradict the king's commandment in so much that Camby had brought with him the king's attorney, unquote. Oh, no. Yeah. So Sunif was committed to Southwark prison for a month, although, in fact, he remained there for a further five months. Oh, jeez. Sunif agreed to pay, quote, for dread of dying in prison, unquote. And Canby seized Sunif's assets to the amount of £500. In his complaint, Sunif said that Canby had, quote, as much as in him was to murder me and my wife, for he has shortened our lives both, and especially my wife's, unquote. And I guess he's talking about the unhealthy conditions in prison and Ooh, stress. Oh, yes. Yeah. Definitely stress. Yes. But that was that. Sunif could go home, £500 the poorer, and with his reputation in tatters, I should imagine. But that wasn't that. A year later, Sunif received another summons from Camby telling him to appear before Edmund Dudley. And Sunif's heart must have been in his boots. He was told to go to the Boar's Head in Fish Street. But when he got there, there was no sign of Dudley. Instead, he was met by Camby and the lieutenant of the tower. Oh, my goodness. And he was taken back to the tower. <gasps> Infuriatingly, that's the end of Sunif's official complaint, at least the bits that can be read. The last bit sort of trails off. I presume the end of the paper got all sort of raggedy and oh, no. you can't read the end. However, tucked inside the complaint is another document. A confession by Edmund Dudley himself. Presumably written when he was in prison, having been arrested after Henry VII's death. Yes. When he was A, racked with remorse about what all that he'd done... Yes. Or be feeling that he might be acquitted if he said he was very, very, very sorry. Okay. Delete as appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Dudley wrote, quote, Sunif, I cry you and your wife mercy, and if ever I have aught at my liberty, if the king's executives will not restore you, for truth I will, for there is no matter that I have more remorse in. Also, Sunif, your recompense ought to come of the king's executive. <laughs> this is getting out of it now. He said, I'm really sorry, and if I were at liberty, I would pay the money. But your recompense ought to come of the king's executives. For the king had your money, every groat, and I know penny thereof. How be it by cause I was the executor of the wrong, 
rather than that you should take recompense if I had aught as I have naught. I would recompense you myself, and therefore I shall lowly beseech the king and his most honourable counsel that you may be recompensed, rather than sale of such poor goods as were mine, for verily you had great wrong. By me, Edmundo Dudley. Unquote. I like by me, it makes him sound about six and three quarters, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. But that implies that Sunef and his wife were still alive. Oh, they're alive. Okay. Yes. No, Sunif was saying, we've, we feel that we've had so many years knocked off our lives just yes. through probably bad health. Yeah, but since we don't usually know the endings of some of these. Well, we do. We can, we can corroborate the, the complaint. Okay. But we can't corroborate Dudley's admission. Because sadly, we can't take it at face value. It's not written in Dudley's handwriting. Because oh. we do have quite a lot of examples of Dudley's handwriting. Yes, we do. And the writing is the same as Sunif's confession. Oh. And it also seems that it's not the case of a scribe writing both documents, since apparently it's easy to spot the handwriting oh, of a scribe. that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yes. Um, it's possible that Sunif wrote both, but if so, why? I don't know. Hmm. Because I've got this image, I think it's the fact he's a haberdasher. I've got this image of a sort of mild-mannered, a bit like the characters that Michael Palin used to play in Monty Python. Yes. Sort of people who'd like to be a lion tamer, but work in banking, that sort of feel to him. <laughs> it does turn out, though, that Dudley did correspond with people he felt he had wronged. And people wrote to Dudley telling him that they'd just discovered that a fine that they'd paid was illegally elicited from them. And Dudley would write back saying, you know, it's a fair cop. I'd get your money back. We, yeah. We've done you wrong. Yes. And presumably these people were then able to show the letter to the relevant authorities and said, look, he says it was wrong. Yes. But how much credence can we give this complaint of Thomas Sunniff? Did he make the whole thing up? Well, no, he didn't, thankfully. There is, a, there is documentary proof of a bill as part of Oya and Termina stating that men broke into and entered the house of Thomas and Alice Sunniff and the couple were subsequently imprisoned on the 26th of June, 1507, until Sunif agreed to pay £500 to Edmund Dudley. And the defendants named in the bill include Dudley and Camby. So it's not just Sunif's word we have to take. There is legal... Legal documentation. Documentation, yeah. To find the source of this £500 that just seemed to appear out of nowhere, we can find mention of that sum further back in Sunif's past. He had agreed to stand surety along with nine other people, to the sum of £500 for the future good behaviour of a priest. And it's not known why this priest needed this surety. I don't know what he'd done. Yeah. And £500 is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a, it's a significant sum. So, And if nine other people had also pledged, I don't know if they all pledged the same amount of money, but but maybe the priest didn't behave well and therefore Sanif would have been required to pay the money. And maybe this was the case, because Dudley loved rummaging about in old cases, didn't he? Yes, when he did. When people thought it was all over. Suddenly, years and years later, they'd be called in to see Dudley and... Um, it would start all over again. Yeah. Or we have another mention of £500 in Sunif's records. Sunif and two others entered into recognizances for future performance. And this was to cover quarrels, transgressions, debts and arbitration with others. In other words, they were required to keep the peace. Several of the people mentioned in this transaction were later to appear in the documentation concerning Sunif's victimisation by Canby, including Stephen Peacock, Sunif's neighbour. 
They may have appeared before the bench to plead that this figure of £500 was not an actual debt, it was a recognisance for future behaviour, and therefore, as long as the terms had not been breached, Sunif was under no obligation to pay it. And presumably Sunif hadn't breached the terms, but he would have done so if he were an accessory to a crime. Okay. The crime of killing a baby, for instance. Right. So you can't help feeling he's being set up here. Yes. Then the £500 would, would cease to be a recognisance and become a debt. Yes. And so Camby would have every right to demand it. So this works both ways. If Sunif were to agree to pay the debt, then he's admitting it's a debt and not a recognisance. Yeah. And he would effectively be acknowledging his guilt. Yes. Since he had broken the peace in the way that Camby had alleged. So you can see why he held out so long. Yeah. But... By November 1506, the bond was at an end because these things have a set shelf life, don't they, generally? So by rights, a line should have been drawn under that. But Dudley and Empson did Just, find ways of... Of course they did. ...getting <laughs> a rubber out and rubbing out that line that had been drawn underneath. Yeah. However, when Sunif decided to pay up for both himself and his wife when he feared that they would both die in prison, the King's Attorney General, James Hobart, denied ever having received the sureties from him. Oh, no. Mm. Was this a case of carelessness, you know, losing the papers, or was it more sinister? More sinister. 500 pounds. Losing record of 500 pounds is pretty drastic. Even now, you'd be pretty annoyed. If yes. <laughs> if they'd lost 500 pounds. But then, yeah. And we know how Dudley works. When Sonny finally agreed to pay the sureties for his bond, suddenly another bond appeared in the records. Sunif still owed apparently 600 marks for the first bond, and now he also owed 400 marks for this new one. Holy cow. And the new one is thought to be a payment to be exonerated from all charges. So Sunif, as he tries to drag himself out of the quagmire, is being dragged in deeper and deeper. Jeez. On the 21st of July, 1507, Dudley recorded a debt in his account book of £500 for the pardon of Thomas Sunif. Quote, for the murdering of the child, unquote. But a pardon is not the same as being acquitted. No, it isn't. Mm. It's, yes, I acknowledge that you've done it, but I am not going to punish you for it, is usually a pardon. Yes. And both the Sunifs remained in prison for several months after J July 1507. And Thomas and Alice Sunif were finally exonerated in November of that year. It's thought that even after this, Sunif bravely, bravely refused to pay because Dudley's records, having received an instalment of his debt in February 1508 of 50 marks, at the end of 1508, Sunif was back in the tower and no further instalments are recorded in Dudley's records. Sunif himself had been imprisoned on two other occasions for debts prior to his little trouble with Canby, but for much lesser amounts and he was able to find people to stand surety for him on both occasions. And what I don't know is whether having two debts that required arrest and imprisonment to recover was rare and showed that Sunif was quite a dodgy character, or whether that was just common business practice of the time. Good question. I don't... I don't know. No. I don't even know how we'd go about finding records of that. Yes, because it's it's not a fact, it's a reason why, really, yes. isn't it? But who was this Camby who made Sunif's life such hell? He was a grocer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> You've got a haberdasher and a grocer. But he also had a job in the sheriff's office, which I said, as I said, which he almost lost due to his, quote, 
wayward life. The Great Chronicle accused him of bribery, extortion, plundering and running a brothel. Oh, lovely. Mmm. Dudley and the King seem to arrange for Canby to be given certain posts that ran counter to the rights of the City of London to choose who should be given these positions. And I think we can safely assume that Canby was not the sort of person whom they would have chosen, since some of the positions that he was given were open to corruption. He was also the weigher of wool and the keeper of the counter of the poultry. Wow. And both of these posts, apparently, can involve substantial amounts of money yes. disappearing into the back pockets of the person who holds the post. Yes. So where did this story about the murdered child come from? It's thought it was entirely concocted by Canby. Alice Dampston was described by Dudley as a prostitute, and if this is true, she may have worked in the brothel run by Canby. In which case, would she have been in a position to refuse him if he if he demanded that she slander the Sunifs? Yeah. If he's the pimp. Her, yeah. And pimps, I don't wish to slander anyone, but pimps don't tend to be terribly <laughs> nice people. No. <laughs> I mean, I apologise to any pimps out there who are lovely family people and I everything. But I don't think they exist. Whole, no, no apologies required. <laughs> it's been suggested that the child was Alice Dampston's and that it was stillborn. And this might have put the idea of the story into Camby's head. It's also thought that Dampston worked for a while for the Sunifs, because I suppose that a heavily pregnant prostitute might have to seek alternative employment for the duration, at least, wouldn't they? I couldn't even say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll find out that in the prostitution episode. (laughs) The end of Sunif's ordeal and others like him coincided with the death of Henry VII in April 1509. Almost immediately after the arrests of Empson and Dudley, numerous complaints were filed in returns of Oya and Termina, held between the 1st of July and the 1st of August 1509 from all over the country. Dudley and Empson were accused of treason, and obviously they weren't guilty of treason, it was just a way of implying that whatever they did, they did without the knowledge or collusion of the king. Right. And as I said, none of the complaints implied the collusion of the king. A general pardon was issued on the tw- on the 24th of April 1509, only three days after Henry VII's death. We know that Dudley and Empson were executed, but what happened to the odious Mr Camby? Well, he was excluded from the general pardon, and he was, quote, removed from the said several offices, and from thenceforward never to enjoy the said offices, nor any of them to occupy, unquote, which you'd think would be the least of it, wouldn't yes. you? Yes. He was imprisoned. Oh, good. But to the disgust of the Great Chronicle, he was then released. Oh. And surprisingly, in 1511, Camby entered a monastery in Oxfordshire, where he stayed until he died 11 years later. What? So, all oh, lovely for him. So, what of the king? How much was he implicated? Right up to the hilt, I would say. He signed every page of Dudley's account book. Right. And he was canny about money. If there was anything he didn't understand and thought he ought to query, he'd have done so, wouldn't he? Would he Would he have queried income? He would have queried <laughs> expenses. Ah, that could be true. But then he's... Still acknowledging it. I was going to say sticking his fingers in his ears and saying, I don't want to hear where yeah. this came from. Yeah. It's not good behaviour. No. Polydor Virgil said, quote, you could have seen daily in the halls of Empson and Dudley's houses a host of convicted persons awaiting sentence to whom wretchedly evasive replies were given, 
so that they were exhausted by the duration of the anxiety and voluntarily gave up their money, unquote. So that's what they did to Sanif. They wore him down until he gave in. Yeah. There was a constant battle between the, between the king and his council and the city of London. The city had certain privileges which included the, pri the privacy of their records. They were not obliged to reveal their records to the king. What? Really? And these records, apparently so, and these records included debts and recognizances. But the king and his council ran roughshod over the, these rights. Yeah. They just said, you know, I'm the king. Yes. And there'll be a document, or I'm working for the king. We don't know which. The use of imprisonment to coerce people into paying their debts was illegal, but it was not brought in by Dudley and Empson. It existed before them, but not on such a huge scale. And M. R. Horowitz, who wrote the article about this, has pointed out that at no time during Henry VII's rule were there riots about recognizances and bonds, which you would think there would be if people were completely weighed down by them. Yes. And this is partly because they were already a thing. Dudley and Empson had honed them and used them to squeeze as much money out of people as they could. Yeah. But no one was complaining about them as a thing because they were used to them. Yes. They complained about the scale. Yes. But obviously not enough to fight back to riot. Yeah, but it's risky. <laughs> yes. Sonif received a cancellation of his debt in 1511, but by that time he'd already paid most of it, and I don't know whether he got it back. Presumably he and his wife had to go through life with people gossiping behind their backs that there's no smoke without fire, and were they baby murderers? Of course. And then we hear that Thomas died in 1522. So, he had a decade of Absolute knowing that Camby was right out the way and St. Dudley was dead. But a horrific story. Yes. Yeah. You can see where Kafka got it from, can't you? Yes, you can. <laughs> so that's a very sad story about Thomas and Alice Sanif. We will not ask if you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, well, it was interesting to to come to see somebody's to get it from their their point of view. Yes, to say, look, this is what it's done to us. Yes. Mm. Well, thank you for listening, and we will Sorry. see you next Sorry. time. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.